and purchased handmade plainswork goods and trinkets from the bazaar for the city markets in the west. The military contingent had a barracks and headquarters there, which was still the heart of the town, but the trade had become the new reason for its existence. Outside the fortified walls, a little community had sprung up around the riverboat docks. A lot of common soldiers retired there, eking out their existence with handouts from their younger comrades. Once, I suppose, the fort of Franisbend had been of strategic importance. Now it was little more than another backwater on the river. The flags were still raised daily with military precision and a great deal of ceremony and pomp. But, as my father told me on the ride there, duty at Franisbend was a soft post now, a plum given to older or incapacitated officers who did not wish to retire to their family homes yet. Our sole reason for visiting was to determine if my father would win the military contract for sheepskins to use as saddle padding. My family was just venturing into sheep herding at that time, and he wished to assess the market potential for them before investing too heavily in the silly creatures. Much as he detested playing the merchant, he told me, as a new noble he had to establish the investments that would support his estate and allow it to grow. I've no wish to hand your brother an empty title when he comes of age. The future Lord Bevels of the East must have income to support a noble lifestyle. You may think that has nothing to do with you, young Navarre, since as a second son you will go to be a soldier. But when you are an old man and your soldiering days are through, you will come home to your brother's estate to retire. You will live out your days at Whitevale, and the income of the estate will determine how well your daughters will marry, for it is the duty of a noble first son to provide for his soldier brother's daughters. It behooves you to know about these things. I understood little then of what he was telling me. Of late he talked to me twice as much as he ever had, and I felt I understood only half as much of what he said. He had only recently parted me from my sister's company and their gentle play. I missed them tremendously, as I did my mother's attentions and coddling. The separation had been abrupt following my father's discovery that I spent most of my afternoons playing tea party in the garden with Elissi and Yarrell, and that had even adopted a doll as my own to bring to the nursery festivities. Such play alarmed my father for reasons my eight-year-old mind could not grasp. He had scolded my mother in a muffled discussion behind the closed doors of the parlour, and instantly assumed total responsibility for my upbringing. My schoolbook lessons were suspended, pending the arrival of a new tutor he had hired. In the intervening days he kept me at his side for all sorts of tedious errands, and constantly lectured me on what my life would be like when I grew up to be an officer in the King's Kavala. If I was not with my father, and sometimes even when I was, Corporal Path supervised me. The abrupt change had left me both isolated and unsettled. I sensed I had somehow disappointed my father, but was unsure of what I had done. I longed to return to my sister's company. I was also ashamed of missing them, for was I not a young man now and on my path to be my father's soldier son? So he often reminded me, as did fat old Corporal Path. Path was what my mother somewhat irritably called a charity hire. Old, paunchy, and no longer fit for duty, he had come to ask my father's aid and had been hired as an unskilled groundskeeper. He was now the temporary replacement for the nanny I had shared with my sister's. He was supposed to school me in the basics of military bearing and fitness each day until my father could find a more qualified instructor. I did not think much of Path. Nanny Sissy had been more organized and demanded more discipline of me than he did. The slouching old man who had carried his corporal's rank into retirement with him regarded me as more of a nuisance and a chore than a bright young mind to be shaped and a body to be built with rigor.
Often, when he was supposed to be teaching me riding, he spent an hour napping while I practiced, being a good little sentry and keeping watch, which meant that I sat in the branches of a shady tree while he slept beneath it. I had not told my father any of that, of course. One thing that Path had already instructed me in was that he was the commander, and I was the soldier, and a good soldier never questioned his orders. My father was well known at Franner's Bend. We rode through the town and up to the gates of the fortress. There he was saluted and welcomed without question. I looked curiously about me as we rode past an idle smith's shop, a warehouse, and a barracks before we reined in our horses before the commander's headquarters. I gaped up at the grand stone building, three stories tall, as my father gave Path his instructions regarding me. Give Navarre a tour of the outpost and explain the layout. Show him the cannon and talk to him about their placement and range. The fortifications here are a classic arrangement of defences. See the